This episode of the Black Gold Podcast is brought to you in part by the Black Gold Podcast Store, where you can get exclusive Black Gold Podcast merchandise. Here you can purchase the new My Story Matters design on a comfortable t-shirt or in a snug and warm hoodie. Also, you can purchase my new ebook on podcasting called The Podcast Jumpstart Guide to help you get from zero to your first episode teaching you the tools and resources that I've used to build a quality podcast on a low budget. To get your hands on this awesome merch at a discount, go to www.blackgoldpod.com and go to the menu and click on the Black Gold Podcast Store discount button to save 10% off your next order. Hello listeners, on this show I talk with everyday African Americans who were able to transform their passions and struggles into their dreams. I'm your host Moses Tillman Young and welcome to the Black Gold Podcast. In this episode, I interview Dr. Robert Wallace. He is an investor, author, and energy business consultant who lives in Baltimore, Maryland. In our conversation, Robert and I discuss the advantage of the immigrant mindset, the benefits of being in the energy sector, and the three things in life you need to be successful. And we are recording. So, Mr. Robert Wallace, welcome to the Black Gold Podcast. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, sir. Very busy, but doing well. <laughs> That's very good. So, your assistant contacted me and said that you are an author, a speaker, uh, an investor, entrepreneur. How did you get started doing what you do? Sure. Well, um, you know, I was raised uh, in in Baltimore City uh, in the projects, and I was always um, disappointed in the fact that that our our community, uh, for the most part, in that part of Baltimore, lived in poverty. And um, we had a shopping center in our, in our neighborhood. My neighborhood was probably 99.9% African-American, low income, um, in some project housing. And, but the stores were owned and operated by people who didn't look like us. And I always thought that was odd. And I, I wanted to know why that was. And so as I, as I got older, um, you know, went to college, University of Pennsylvania, and then went to graduate school for my MBA, I began studying, you know, economics and entrepreneurship. And I began to see that that was that the economic empowerment was the missing link in the African-American community. And so for me, that became a cause that I would take on for the rest of my life. And so even in, in grad school, working on my MBA, I, I focus on economic empowerment for people of color and for women, but particularly for African-Americans. 
um, because I thought that was the next that was the next um, battle that we had to fight. We had fought to get equal rights, voting rights, human rights, but what we were missing was economic rights, and that became the mission that I I still have today, and which is how do we economically empower, you know, people of color and and women uh, and and African Americans in particular. So through your different studies of economic impoverishment within the Black community, uh, what have you found have been the main causes of people getting out of economic poverty? Yeah, uh, well, you you, you mean the the main reason why they got into it or how they get out of it? How do they get out of it? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't think there is one only one answer to that. I I will give you the answer that I have found from my personal experience and from my research that is the most potent, the most powerful, the most effective. And that is getting out of it through entrepreneurship. If you look at the American way, the American way has always been about immigrants coming to America embracing the the embracing democracy embracing capitalism and becoming entrepreneurs in a, in a very big way and so if you follow the immigrant pattern and one thing i talked about in my first book i wrote called black wealth i talk about retaining the immigrant mentality because i think a lot of americans get, get people who have been born here and raised here and even for generations, sometimes we get a little lackadaisical, we get a little comfortable. And what you and what you find in in in, in immigrants is that they're not comfortable because they recognize if they don't make something happen, they're not going to survive. And that and I call that the immigrant mentality. And I'm I'm suggesting that we as a people need to retain that immigrant mentality. That's why you'll find Recent immigrants. I mean, you, you take West Indians. You 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 take South Southeast Asians. You you take uh, folks from India, um, China, uh, who come to America. You know, uh, they come with that mentality, and thus they're able to benefit and to leverage the American system of capitalism. So it's the immigrant mentality, the idea that you are a foreigner in a strange land, and that you need to accumulate certain resources in order to be, is it to be seen as successful or to really be successful? I think it is to be, I don't think, I, I think most people who really, who, um, who are thinking clearly, they're not really concerned about like, you know, what people think, right? They want to know that at the end of the day, I can take care of my family. I have enough money and resources and wealth to do what I need to do to, to take in my family, empower my community, and to build this country. And I think that most people who have wealth, they don't care what people think about, about them. And so, no, sir, I, I think it's more about it being real. It being real. I mean, if you look at this recent, uh, we are uh, um, 2020 in America. I mean, what an unprecedented year that was for our, not only our nation, for the world. Yeah. But what it but but what it showed, what it what it what it illustrated, and what it brought to the table was the the economic inequalities of our nation. And we look at the people who suffered the most through this. It's been black and brown people, quite frankly, in America. 
because of the institutional inequalities that we've had to live with for 400 years. And so the pandemic didn't didn't create those inequalities. It, it just exposed them, exposed them for what they are. And so I think that people who had resources, who had means, they were better able to weather 2020 um, and then, then those who didn't have the means. And I think that's what we have to, we as a people have to close that gap. And I, I propose that we close the gap through entrepreneurship. In, in my opinion, that is the best way. Um, certainly it's not the only way, but it's a way that I recommend. What is, what is it about entrepreneurship that you think is that, that key that would unlock the door to potential higher success? Yeah, that's a great, a great question. I, I think it ties back into the American way. I mean, entrepreneurship is, is about, in my view, it's about power. It's about power. And now what is power? Power is simply the ability to achieve your purpose in the face of adversity, in the face of resistance. That's power. And who in their right mind doesn't want power or some degree of power? All of us do. And so I think that entrepreneurship gives us the base to have power where we can influence the outcomes for our families and for our communities and for this nation. And so I think that that entrepreneurship gives you the best chance to make that happen. It's not so much just, it's not just entrepreneurship, but it is creating wealth through entrepreneurship. So it's not the entrepreneurship per se, but it's the wealth that it creates. Because when I create the wealth, then I have more options to do more things. And I have more options also to fight back against those who would seek to prevent me from participating in the American um, capitalistic system. And so I think that entrepreneurship provides that the best engine and the best possibilities to make that happen. And doesn't matter what color you are or what gender you are, that's the American way. And so African-Americans have always, all we've ever wanted was to, to, was to, to treat us the same way that you treat every other you know, member of our society. We've never asked for any more than that. So our cause and our mission and our journey has never been any more than that. Pretty basic, right? Um, and we and there's still a fight that we fight today, quite frankly. What today would you say is the not necessarily the easiest, but the most secure career path or niche for someone to get into in entrepreneurship? Well, I'm a little biased when I ask that question, okay? Because my my, my background, as you probably know, is engineering. Yeah. Um, I have five kids and I've, and we, my, my, my wife is an engineer. She's a biomedical engineer. My degree is in mechanical engineering and applied mechanics. My five kids, you know, almost four, I, I say almost, Three and a half of them are engineers. And, and by the half, I mean, she is my daughter. She majored in history, but mine in computer science. So I, I call her engineer. So four out of five, you know, engineers. Um, we pushed our grandkids to become engineers and, and scientists. I believe, to answer your question, I think that the sciences are is a perfect way um, and is, is a very promising path for creating um, um, wealth and creating businesses. Look, it's no mistake. If you look at 
the richest, uh, most, the highest valued companies in, in the world and in America, they tend to be technology companies. Now, somebody may say, well, Amazon is not a technology company. Well, it really is. Okay. If you look at what drives Amazon, it's technology, right? You know, Google, Facebook, um, Twitter, uh, you know, um, uh, Tesla. You, I mean, you name it. These are tech companies. And what I say in my second book, I wrote um, uh, Black Wolf, Your Road to Small Business Success, is that, that in my view, every, every person is a technologist. Every profession is a technologist. All right. And, and you need to understand technology in order to be successful in whatever, whatever field you're in. So whether you're a teacher, whether you're a social worker, whether you're an attorney or a medical doctor, it does not matter. Technology will determine who's going to be at the top and who will be at the bottom. <coughs> yeah. So being a, a teacher, like right now, a lot of teachers have had to transition from the <laughs> face-to-face classroom to today being virtual over the screen. Uh, how has the pandemic affected what you do, your day-to-day, your overall business? Well, uh, I, I, first of all, I think you're right. I think that the teachers, because I come from a family of teachers, my, my sister-in-laws, my mother was a teacher, my grandmother, um, my daughter-in-laws are teachers. I mean, so I, I get it, right? And they have had to pivot um, yeah. and become technologists in terms of teaching virtually. Um, but that is a big problem in our in our society. Now, now, fortunately for my companies, we are tech companies. So we have an IT company that works in cybersecurity and, and biometrics and software engineering and those areas. Those are those are areas that you can operate anywhere on the planet. As long as you got a good as long as you got a good pipeline to the internet and a good platform to work on, my, my folks can work anywhere. And so we're all working remotely now. My whole company's pretty much, I mean, we, we have a skeleton staff that works in the headquarter building, but from what it used to be, we're all working remotely and all, and all over the place, all over the country. Um, so we haven't been impacted in a negative way at all. Even our energy company, we have a Bith Energy where we do large scale solar energy projects and we do you know, battery engineering and, 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 and energy data analytics. Again, my engineers and scientists, technicians, they're all able to work remotely. So for us, this has not been um, a, 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 a setback because our business model is, is, is based upon technology. So when the pandemic hit and people could, not, could no longer come to the headquarters to work, I could disperse my staff and not miss a beat. And that's what happened for us. And I think most tech companies have the same experience. Consequently, our whole business model is evolving. It's changing. So even when the pandemic is over, we're probably going to have a different business model that says, I'm going to allow more of my people to work remotely because now I have seen that it can work. And I can and I see that it can be e- efficient. So for me, it makes sense. My company makes sense. Where do you have your your solar farms? So we have farm. We have solar farms. We have we have developed and built about sixty megawatts of solar projects, uh, primarily on the East Coast. Uh, we've done some for Department of Defense. Uh, we're starting uh, a, a build in the British Virgin Islands as we speak. My son is heading that up. Um, so we've built. Excuse me. We built all over the country. 
uh, pretty much on the East Coast, Eastern Mississippi, and, and, then, and now in the Caribbean. So we're looking to expand into the Caribbean even further, expand maybe into Latin America, um, because every country is, is, is facing the same dilemma of how do you reduce your carbon footprint? And the best way to do it is through, is through, is through usage of energy, first of all, being smart about how you use it, but then you know, adapting renewable energy, energy technologies. Uh, 60 megawatts, how would you translate that to someone who doesn't know anything yes, about solar so energy? Imagine for each megawatt, we can power about 100 households, right? So wow. there would be about 6,000 households that we've been able to, to really provide renewable energy for. Wow. And where do you think of yourselves being? within the next four years with the new administration and their energy deals that they want to accomplish over the administration. That's why I'm... Yeah, where do you guys find yourselves within the next four years? Yes, yes, indeed. Timely question. So that's why I'm back and forth to Washington, D.C. now, because uh, with the Biden-Harris team coming in on Wednesday, um, that's going to totally change the energy... I would say energy for for for, uh, for example, it's going to change the energy value proposition dramatically from a Trump administration. See, when Trump came in, he pretty much killed or tried to kill the renewable energy sector. Solar was not important to him when he was a carbon-based oil and gas kind of yeah. president, and that's what he supported. I think we think that the Biden Harris administration will be will look more like the Obama administration in terms of investing in and supporting renewable energy technologies. And so we are we are gearing up to take advantage of that. We are in the process now of creating a, a quarter billion dollar fund, investment fund that will invest in community solar energy projects around the country. Community solar is gonna be a major area of growth, we think. And we believe that, that the Biden-Harris administration We'll, we'll, we'll support that. And so we want to be prepared to be able to participate in that as well. What areas of the country are you guys thinking of establishing those test sites? Because the uh, idea of, because currently solar is something that is viewed, at least within the United States, as being something that you need to afford to set up. And it's only for the people who are well-to-do. Uh, will you be setting up those testing sites in communities that are impoverished? Well, that's the whole idea, sir, behind community solar. Community solar's purpose is to do just what you said. It is to provide um, uh, renewable energy technologies and benefits to low and middle income communities. Um, now, that's a different that's a different business model because, like you said. I mean, most people in those neighborhoods cannot afford on their own to, you know, invest in the yeah. solar energy plant. But through creative programs with the local governments and with the private sector, we found there we're finding ways that we can build solar energy and renewable energy systems for low and, and uh, low and middle income communities, so that they can benefit. But yet, the financial model still makes sense. Right. And that's the whole purpose of community solar was to help make that happen. Yes, sir. Was there anyone in your career, either in college or in grad school, 
that took you by the hand and showed you the ropes of both business and the energy sector? Oh my goodness, yes, yes, sir. There were so many. There are so many people. Uh, we probably don't have enough time for me to cover all of them. Um, but I will start with my grandparents, uh, grandfather Curry and grandmother Curry, um, who lived to be uh, in the nineties, uh, and then great grandmother Curry lived to be one hundred four years old. Uh, and they were they were in their own right, you know, entrepreneurs. You know, they came through the era where you know black folks didn't have you know the right to vote. They, they would take their property from them if they were too successful. They would terrorize them through the KKK. I mean, this is the era that my, my grandparents came through. But yet, despite all that racism and all that violence and all the terror that they had to endure, they still maintain a hope for the future. And they maintain a spirit of entrepreneurship. So I start with my grandparents and then my, and then my parents. My mother was a janitor. My daddy was a laborer. But they were men and women who did not um, settle for being in poverty. My mother's always say, we may be in poverty today, but it doesn't mean we have to stay here. And she, she and daddy taught us, my I-5 brothers, they taught us that they do three things to be successful in life, three things. And that's all you got to do. Number one was faith in God, right? Faith in God. Number two was education, right? It was education. And three was hard work. Right. Faith in God, education, hard work, all three things. And my brothers and I, we took them, mom and daddy at their word. We, we, we followed their advice and their guidance. And it led us. All, all my brothers are successful. My older brothers are career, career military men. Um, I was the first child to go to college in my family. My younger brother, he followed me to college, to UPenn. He's also an engineer. His wife is a medical, a very successful medical doctor down in Florida. So, you know, we follow our parents' guidelines and they helped us to be successful. And then in college, many mentors in college. I mean, I, you know, Mr. Knighting, Mr. Sanford, you know, Jacob Abel, um, Don Benjamin. Uh, I mean, these are, and what's interesting, sir, I will tell you this. These men and women who helped me, who mentored me, they came from all backgrounds. You know, they were not just African-Americans. They were Jewish-Americans. They were Italian-Americans. They were Irish-Americans. These were men and women who did not let color blind them if, um, from helping somebody who they thought was worthy of, the, of their help. And I've been blessed with having mentors like that all through my life. And so I've learned that the help that you and I will get can come from anywhere. So don't restrict yourself to one particular group that you think will help you. You'll be amazed at the people that will help you be successful if you only ask them to help you. How would you say the current administration is doing with the coronavirus pandemic? And how do you think that will then translate into future entrepreneurship ventures for people of color? Do you mean the Trump administration? Yes. They, they've done a horrible job, a horrible job. You, you, you couldn't have scripted a, a more horrific um, approach to handling a pandemic. I mean, he, here's a man who denied it in the beginning, denied that it even existed. Then he pretended that we had solutions to it that we didn't have. Then would not, would not give the, 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 the experts um, the room that they needed. To, to manage this. I mean, I couldn't think of a, a worse case of mismanagement 
of a pandemic, right? And consequently, but, but before we're done, half a million Americans will have lost their lives because of this incompetence. So I think that they've done a horrible job and they should be, they should be uh, uh, certainly you know, put, put out of office, which they, which they have been. And I'm glad to see that. Um, but I, I think that the pandemic in this, <coughs> excuse me, this pandemic environment creates enormous opportunities for business. And you've, and you've already seen that. I mean, look at what's happening in the tech world and tech stocks. Amazon's gone through the roof. Why? Because people now have to order, are ordering over online, their virtual virtual store. Amazon, Amazon's gone, gone through the roof. Facebook, people are spending more time now. I read a study that showed since the pandemic that, that people are spending 50% more time on, on their online, like what you and I are doing, you know, virtually yeah. than before the pandemic. So any any business that supports this virtual platform like Zoom, <laughs> Zoom, have you seen the Zoom stock price recently? Uh, I mean, I mean, it's just a, it, incredible, incredible. So there are businesses that are benefiting from this pandemic. So what I teach in my MBA, in my MBA class and in other uh, 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 and I mentor entrepreneurs is I tell them that you have to learn how to pivot in these environments, pivot your business model so you can benefit from the change in the environment. And I have, I have done it in my own business and I, and I teach other entrepreneurs to do the same thing. And so we've been able to pivot in this pandemic, take on new customers, new, new opportunities because of the pandemic. And that's what you should do. That's what a smart entrepreneur will do. Speaking of pivoting, you recently ran to be the mayor of Baltimore. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. How was your campaign? How did it go? And what was the result? So I ran for mayor of Baltimore City. And I'll tell you, sir, I couldn't have picked a more challenging time to do it because we we had to do it in the midst of a pandemic. So traditional politicking um, strategies went went to the wayside. I mean, you, you couldn't touch people. You couldn't be in front of people. You had to use technology and virtual world. And I mean, I couldn't have picked a more challenging time. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, it was probably one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had. See, I'm, I'm like what I think you are, the kind of man you are, right? I don't look at, when I look at something that's not working right and that's a problem, and that's hurting people. I don't just complain about it. I don't just turn my head and, and pretend it doesn't exist. I attack it. I go at it to solve it. So when I look at Baltimore City as a city and looked at our condition in terms of the, the, the rampant violence, the, the poverty, the, the, the dilapidated neighborhoods, the corrupt leadership that we've had, we've experienced in the last couple of, of, of cycles, I, I said, I can't, I can't accept this anymore. I live in, I live in the city. I pay a lot of taxes in the city. And I said, I just cannot accept this any longer. And so I decided to jump in and, and versus complain about it to try to fix it. So I ran as an independent. I didn't run as a Republican or a Democrat. <clears throat> I ran as, as a independent. And so I think that for me, you know, that was the most sense for me. So to ask you a question, how it turned out, we came in second place. There were there were three people running. Is there a Democrat, Republican, and I was the independent. 
I came in second place. We cha totally changed the dynamics of politics in Baltimore City. Uh, we're starting a new organization that will continue to work to implement change in the city of Baltimore. So I believe it was one, and the people I met in the city during the campaign, just wonderful people um, that I would never have met had I, had I not taken this journey. So I'm glad I did. You know, people ask me, well, will you run again for mayor? I say, probably not. I may run for governor. I may run for president, but probably not for mayor again. But we'll see. <clears throat> How did you deal with the failure that happened as you were slowly getting to where you are today? The failure in the what? In life, in the campaign? In life, in, in the campaign, starting a business? Well, you know, I actually uh, started about five businesses that failed before I found one that worked. So really? Wow. So, so I didn't get, I didn't hit it, you know, right the first time out. It took me five, five tries to get it right. So I think that, I think failure is part of the process, really. I haven't met, I've met very few people, <clears throat> excuse me, who hit it right, who hit it out the ballpark the first time they at bat. They just, that's just rare. It's, I mean, it, it does happen. Some people yeah. do. But most people don't. And so what becomes key is how do you how do you handle um, failure? How do you handle a disappointment? How do you handle when people when people let you down? I mean, there are people that I thought would be supportive of me who were not. Right? And, there, and, and but consequently, there conversely, there were those who I didn't think would be helpful who were. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword there. Um, I just feel that you cannot be afraid of failure. Failure is part of life. It's part of the journey. Now, I don't like it. I'd rather not have it. And I work hard not to, real, not to have it be a reality for me. But I'd be, I'd be less than honest if I, if I said I've had my share of it. And, uh, but I've learned so much from it. And so the key is being resilient enough that you can, even, with, even in the midst of failure, you can brush yourself off and you can continue in your journey. I think that's, going, that's key to success. So it's seeing failure as, you know, it's part of the path of success and that you need to overcome it in order to get to the next step. Like a game, you need to level up each time you encounter something in order to reach your final destination. I think it's true. I think it's true. I mean, I played, for example, I played three sports. I played football, I played basketball, and I ran track. I, I didn't want that, but those were my, my major ones. And we didn't win every game. You know, we lost some games. But every game that we lost, we, we learned from it. And we committed ourselves to excellence. And so in some cases, we ended up winning championships because every, every experience that we had, we got something from it that was beneficial. And I think that's the same way in life, that every experience you have has a benefit to it. Sometimes the benefit is not obvious. Sometimes you have to search for that benefit. But you should start with the fact that there is a benefit there and that you are responsible for, for realizing it. 
Have there been any uh, tools, resources, books that you've used throughout your business that you'd want to share on the podcast today? <clears throat> well, I'll tell you, and folks may not want to hear this, but the number one book that I use is the Bible, right? Um, Amen. And, and I have friends who are Muslims. They may study the Quran. <clears throat> I have friends who are Hindu, uh, who are Buddhists. And whatever they they study, um, I respect that. But I'm a Christian, and um, the biggest, most beneficial book for me is is and has been the Bible. Um, every morning I'm up I'm up at four o'clock a.m. right, and my first thing I'm doing is I have my devotion because I need guidance, I need help, I need hope, I need direction. And I've learned from my parents and my grandparents and my ancestors that the best source of wisdom is the word of God. And so that's where I go to get my wisdom. And then I also get my, I get my encouragement from that. And so from that, you know, I, I, research, I have other books that I've, I've studied, you know, from, from good to great. It's one of my favorite books. Um, I like David and Goliath. Um, um, I like, um, uh, this book, I'm, I'm working on a new book now that's called Pivot Point Intelligence, which uh, I'm almost finished writing. Uh, I've written eight books. Six have been published. Like two that I'm waiting. I'm putting, I've written them, but I've, I put them on the side, waiting for the right time to publish them. Um, but I, the, my book on Pivot Point Intelligence is one that I think is going to be really exciting, where it talks about how do you change direction in your business um, in the spur of the moment. And not lose momentum, and not and not lose focus. I'm I'm excited about that. We got some pretty cool case studies with that, and uh, our research shows that this is. I think this is the area um, that we need. We as a society, we as entrepreneurs, need to really benefit from and really really master. So I'm pretty excited about that. What is your favorite verse of the Bible? <laughs> it's 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 one that will. Um, pretty basic but it's one that that i gives me strength for god so loved the world john 3 16 but god so loved the world that he gave his son that those who believe will not perish but have everlasting life because if i thought that this life was the end if i thought you know you know, I, I don't know, four score and three years, whatever years we're, we think we're going to get, right? If I thought that was the end of this journey, I would lose my mind. Think about that for a second. Now, you know, you're a young man, but you know, but you know, death doesn't have any, death isn't biased, you know. Young, yeah. young people die, unfortunately, too. So it's not just an old age thing, but all of us are going to go down that journey. We, we're all marching to the grave. Some of us will, will, will get to it sooner than others, but we're marching to the grave. So if you think, if I felt that the grave was the end of it all, then I would say, what, what use is this? What good is this? What, what, what is this? I would lose my mind. <clears throat> but because, of, because yeah. of what I believe, there's something beyond the grave, and that is life, eternal life. Then that gives me excitement. I'm excited about living. I'm excited about the tasks that I have been given to do. I'm excited about the work that we do in the community. 
we do admission work around the world where we take our money and we raise money to build orphanages and hospitals and clinics and schools and teach entrepreneurship to young people in emerging economies. All those things make more sense to me knowing that there's life beyond the grave. And that's, what's, that's what keeps me going and drives me forward. Yeah, it's the knowledge that you then have, how you have a meaning to this life and they need to make this right. life meaningful right. to its fullest. And that if you don't do that, you have missed out on one of the greatest opportunities uh, of your life. You know, that's very, very true. And I think so many people go through life with no purpose and no meaning. And I think that is one of the, one of the most uh, devastating realities, experiences that a, a, a man or woman could have to go through all of this and say, what was it for? What was it for? What, what, what was the purpose, right? And I think for me and people like me, believers, there's a purpose and it's clear cut and it's straight and, and, it's, and it's great clarity that we have. And so we find even so, and, and so that also helps us when we get through the rough spots of life, right? When things are not going well. You know, I tell the story about my parents, you know, and I, my, my mother and father were faithful believers, even though we were in poverty, and I, my, my, mama would always say, remind us, she would always say, God will make a way. Now here we were, uh, we, we had no food, we had no heat in the winter, <coughs> excuse me, we had hand-me-down clothes and holes in our shoes and all that, and mama would still say that God will make a way. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> I used to say under my breath, mama, God don't care about us. If he did, we wouldn't be living like this. But I didn't say it to her face. I knew better than that because she knocked me on the ground. But I learned later that mama, mama was correct, that God did make a way. And so my brothers and I, although we came through tough times, you know, I tell you something, my mother was, was an alcoholic when we were kids. My mother had a drinking problem. Do you know that she, because through prayer, and faith in God that she beat, she beat alcoholism. She went to college in her forties and got a BS degree in teaching, became a teacher in the school system in Baltimore city. In her fifties, she went back and got her master's degree and, be, and, and expanded her teaching um, capacity. In her sixties, she started her PhD, but then she got, she became ill and she couldn't finish that. But 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 I'm I'm saying that's what can happen to people who never give up and who have faith. And back to three things mom and dad taught us, taught my, my brothers and I, faith in God, education, hard work. Mama lived it and daddy, they lived it. And so we had we had good role models to follow. That that's an incredible story. She's amazing. She's passed now, mom and daddy gone. Um but amazing, amazing. But you know, I, I bet your parents are just as amazing. Your grandparents. I mean, to to be to be an African American of any success in this nation, given what we have gone through and what we go through, it is a miracle. It is a miracle. Yeah. And I remind, I remind black people all the time, folks. You are a walking miracle to have gone through what we've gone through in this nation and still do to, to a large degree 
and still be, be thriving and still be growing and not have hate in our hearts, that is a miracle, a major miracle. So I try to remind us, I was speaking today for Dr. King's birthday, <clears throat> and I made that point. Don't you succumb to hate. Don't succumb to disillusionment. Don't, don't succumb to discouragement. We've come through much worse times than what we're seeing now as a, as a people, and we made it, and we're making it. So don't you dare succumb to those things. You keep fighting. You keep growing. You keep learning. I mean, I'm not sure how old you are, but you're a young man, and you keep, you keep striving, son, doing what you need to do because there's greatness in you that was put there by God. And so you need to just work on it and then keep bringing it out as you're doing it. I, I, I'm motivated by you. Well, Dr. Robert Wallace, this has been a wonderful conversation. I have one more question for you. Yes, sir. And that is, uh, if you had the ability to send a worldwide text, what would your message be? A worldwide text? Yes. I would tell people what I what I communicated in my first book I wrote and it was called my first book was called Black Wealth Through Black Entrepreneurship and in the book I said many things but it's one quote that I that I made that I think I I I really um I live by it first of all I believe it and I believe it has power and that is all of us are striving to do, to do better. All of us stri are striving to make a better life for ourselves and for our children and for our grandchildren. And so the journey to do that starts with now. It starts with now. And so what I would say in the text is this, to, to, to the people of the world, I would say, do what you can with what you have, where you are, and do it now. So what that says is, whatever your condition you find yourself in, there is something that you can do now to make your life better. So my advice is do what you can. You're not going to have all the resources you think you need. You're not going to have all the opportunities right at the moment you think you need. But do what you can. Do what you can with what wherever you are and do it now. And that would be my advice I would give if I put a text to the 7 billion people on the planet. <laughs> yeah. And also the do what you can with where you, with, with where you are right now and do it now that also the thing that you do, it doesn't have to be your absolute dream. It could lead to your next dream. Good so point. it doesn't matter if you don't have the, all the resources to do what you want to do. It doesn't matter if you don't have all the tools and you don't have all of the necessary components to do it. Just get started, make something, and then let that thing then, you know, domino into the next until you finally hit Amen. your dream. That's very astute observation, very astute observation, especially for a young person, right? Because like you said, sometimes you think it's got to be this big thing and this global thing, and it, and it may not be that, and most likely it won't be that. But if you just start where you are, just start where you are with what you have and do it now, then you'll find the next iteration will be easier for you and it'll be greater. It'll be bigger. It'll be more powerful. If you keep doing that the rest of your life for all the days you have on this earth, 
then you'll get to your grave and you'll be you'll be in pe at peace, you'll be content, and you will have made a difference in the world for humanity. Well, Dr. Robert Wallace, this has been a wonderful conversation. Where can the listeners go to learn more about your work? Absolutely. So they can go, we've got three, um, three websites. One is uh, www.robertwallace. That's my name. And Wallace is W-A-L-L-A-C-E. www.robertwallace.com. Um, our IT company is, is, is Bith Group. That's spelled B is in Bravo, I is in India, T is in Tango, H as in Harry, group.com. And that will tell you about our IT uh, company and the great things we're doing there in the IT world. And then the third site will be Bith Energy. B is in Bravo, I is in India, T is in Tango, H as in Harry, energy.com. And that will give you insight on our energy work that we do in, this, in the States and around the world. Well, Dr. Robert Wallace, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Black Gold Podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow the show on Instagram at the Black Gold Pod in order to be updated about new episodes each week. In order to listen to incredible and inspiring stories, please go to the Black Gold Podcast website and make a donation so the stories of these incredible and amazing people will be waiting for you each and every week so that you may be inspired and become an inspiration to someone else.